0: start with it just saying this it's a little bittersweet being here uh this was supposed to be a weekend that uh i was going to be in detroit for the international convention with uh 25 or 30 other uh guys from from my tuesday night uh group um and it just obviously disappointing that that uh didn't happen but uh uh you know it happens and, and we adapt and overcome and, and it's out of our hands um and I'm here instead. Uh, I do want to thank, uh, Dan and, and, uh, Pax for asking me, asking me to do this. Uh, I'm nervous. I I don't do this very often. Haven't been asked to do this very often. Um, and, and I got to confess initially when Dan approached me about it, um, I think the format was when you guys were still kind of had a panel of speakers two or three. And, uh, I do a little better with that. I feel a little more comfortable that it's not all 100% sink or swim on my experience, strength and hope. Um, and uh, I always, you know, strengthen numbers when there's always a couple other people. And at minimum, if I've had to, if I've been asked to do something like this, there's been a 10 minute speaker with a little appetizer before, uh, and obviously don't have that. So, uh, it's going to be uh, sink or swim on this one for me. Um, the other thing that came up that was kind of funny uh, when, when I was initially talking to Pax about a theme for this thing, and they're like, yeah, we got to have a theme for this talk. Um, and I said, uh, you know, something that, that really resonated with me, and it was something that I heard from an old timer early in recovery. Uh, they said, alcoholics come to AA with a million dollars worth of self-will, and they cough it up a nickel at a time. And um, that's something that I've just, for some reason, that's always resonated with me. Um, and I feel like that's kind of been my path in recovery. Um, you know, it's been, uh, 31 years, uh, that I've been sober as of, uh, uh, mid June, June 17th last, last month. And, um, you know, it's been this, uh, it's just been a slow process and, and, you know, it's had its ups and downs. And and what I have found is, is that every time it's been kind of hit one of those downs or lulls in recovery, it's because, uh, my will's crept back in, you know, that I've that I've taken uh, something back or I've just been unable to surrender. Um, and it's just, that's why I relate so much to that, um, you know, million dollars worth of self will. And, and I just let it out a, a nickel at a time. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, when the pain's been great enough, uh, I've surrendered and asked for help and put my hand out. And there's always been somebody in Alcoholics Anonymous. Uh, that's been there uh, to take my hand and walk me through the process and get on the other side of obviously what was God's will for me to experience. Um, So when I was going through that with PAX, obviously uh, that was a bit lengthy to put on the flyer and it may not have related or resonated well in the UK. Um, And uh, instead we just came up with self-will run riot, which is basically the same, the same thing. So uh, with that, I will share in a general way, uh, what it used to be like, what happened and what it's like now. Um, I will kind of preface my share with uh, a lot of this information about my past experience and what it was like. Uh, I did not see or understand it at the time I was going through it. It's, a, it's, it's having been in Alcoholics Anonymous and listened to uh, a lot of, I got a, a lot of information about alcoholism and then obviously had to go back and honestly look at my relationship with alcohol. Um, and when I did that, obviously there was a lot more clarity when I looked at my past. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, I, I was raised in, in Southern California in, in, in an extremely alcoholic, uh, environment, um, and didn't know, as I said, none of this I knew at the time, but it was, uh, it was volatile. It was unpredictable. It was scary. It was, um, intimidating, um, and it didn't make me alcoholic, but it definitely contributed to, I think, uh, my dis-ease and discomfort uh, at being young, uh, a child. Um, and what I found was, is that despite all of that chaos, and despite all those things that I, that I saw in, in family members that I despised, I wanted and strive to be just like them. And um, there were, there was one incident I think when I was about eleven or twelve, uh, where you know my dad would smoke and he was banished to the outside. He had to smoke outside, which is when he always drank too. Um, and I remember being out on the driveway with him and and uh, wanting to impress upon him that I was you know coming of age and that I was I was an adult. I was and uh, and he was drinking Mickey's Big Mouth and and I said you know hey let me have one of the Mickey's Big Mouths. And and he goes, you can't handle it. And I said, no, I can handle it. And he goes, you couldn't chug it. And I said, I can. And I remember uh, grabbing one of his beers and and chugging it. And um, I love the taste of it right off the bat. Um, And I remember how lightheaded it made me, how quickly it made me lightheaded. And it was all I could do to to stand up, to stay stood up. I did not want to let him know that, that it affected me the way that it did. Uh, that I could handle it. And, um, and I, I'll never forget that. And and it was just one of those, um, you know, I guess that's just how this disease works, you know, and, and uh, for me, it's what I, as I said, I wanted to emulate what I hated. And uh, later, uh, you know, by the time I was 15, uh, you know, here, I hear a lot of people in Alcoholics Anonymous talk about this disease and discomfort that they have prior to the first drink. And, and I really remember that as a teenager where, um, you know, I just, I was so full of fear and anxiety and, uh, unable to do, uh, for myself what I wanted to do, you know, and, and, uh, I remember at 15, I was invited to a party with my peers and I was scared to death. Um, and, uh, they were all older. Um, and I went to the party and, and, uh, It was my first real drunk and it was a magical effect. I mean, it was, again, I hear it over and over in Alcoholics Anonymous. So I know I'm in the right place when, when they just talk about that first drink and that was what it felt like. I've heard people talk about, it felt like being hugged by God. And, and I relate to that. Um, It just washed away and it did for me what I couldn't do for myself. It gave me courage, it gave me uh, confidence, it gave me uh, fearlessness uh, and uh, the ability to, what I thought, connect with my peers. Um, And uh, I thought I'd found the magic solution to all of that disease and discomfort that I felt like I was kind of suffering, that apartness, uh, I definitely felt a part of. Coincidentally, from 15 to 18, I worked in a liquor store um, for a guy that was less than honest and did a lot of entertaining out of the back room and and in his office with and without his wife. And and my responsibility was basically all the bottles that he drained, I'd fill them back up and water them down and reattach tax seals so that he could turn them back into the uh, distributor and get credit. And as a result of that, we had a, a relationship and an understanding. It's like I had access to basically anything I wanted as a, as a teenager. So getting access to this magical power, I didn't know it, but then I didn't put two and two together that this was a, obviously a power greater than myself, alcohol, uh, that I had access to it. And, um, things obviously got progressively crazier in the family. Uh, by the time that I was 18, um, my father had gone into recovery Um, and, uh, the whole family kind of got thrown into this alcohol. Well, they got thrown into recovery. My dad obviously went through treatment. Uh, he's been clean for 36 years now. Um, and, uh, my mom went into Al-Anon. She's become a black belt Al-Anon for God since then. And, uh, you know, God bless her. Um, and, uh, what it did was obviously all of a sudden it took and put this magnifying glass on on alcoholism in our family and coincidentally at that same time uh things started to shift in my drinking um that magical feeling that i had uh the ease and comfort that came with the first drink and the as i continued to drink uh started to shift you know that you hear alcoholics talk about the imaginary line that's crossed i crossed that imaginary line all of a sudden when i drank things started to happen, I'd black out. Um, I you know, had about three or four different personalities and the wrong guy, would. I couldn't control who would come out when and where, and it would always be the wrong person at the wrong place at the wrong time. And if I remembered it, uh, the next day I started to feel that guilt and remorse and shame. And um, you know, if I didn't remember and, and, and people told me what happened, uh, it was embarrassing. Um, because the things were happening that I would never in, have intended to happen uh, had I been straight and sober. And, um, and so I started, that was when I started to try to control and manage uh, my drinking uh, or my relationship with alcohol. And, and I started to fail miserably. Um, and, and intermingled in there, started to, you know, obviously get involved in, in some drugs, uh, cocaine at the time. Um, and uh, by the time I was 19, it had gotten to the point where, um, you know, I, I think it was borderline suicidal. Uh, I definitely had contemplated it. Um, I had discussed it with therapists and, you know, family counselors, and and I was given a choice of treatment or meetings, uh, and I chose meetings, and uh, my dad offered to take me to my first Um, I started going to CA, this was in 84, 85, 85, Um, started going to CA meetings. Uh, I figured I was an addict because I was doing cocaine and I started going to Alcoholics Anonymous meetings in Pasadena. Um, I lasted 47 days and my actions in Alcoholics Anonymous that first time were, uh, you know, I'd show up late. I'd probably step out of the meeting a couple of times over the course of an hour, or an hour and a half, depending on how long that meeting was. Um, I didn't listen. Uh, I didn't ask anybody for help. Uh, sure as hell didn't stay through the end and hold hands and pray with them when the meeting closed out. Um, and that's why it only lasted 47 days. Um, there was an old timer that pulled me aside and sarcastically asked me if I, had, you know, if I remembered my last drink and I said, no. And he goes, ah, you haven't had it yet and um and i i i was like you know what fuck you uh i'm out and i used that as my excuse you know i i i was I, not that i was really ever there um but uh i went back out and and desperately tried to manage and control it for another four years and continued to fail uh finally in 89 um you know nothing you know, there was a lot of crazy stuff that happened when i drank and and that just that had nothing to do with making me alcoholic. It just, it reinforced my powerlessness over alcohol, uh, and the inability to, to manage and control it. Um, and, uh, in 89 and, and uh, after a, 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 rough weekend, it was Cinco de Mayo weekend and, and, uh, it started to get shaky in the morning and I just, I, I definitely felt like I had been beat down and, uh, I made a decision to come back to Alcoholics Anonymous. Uh, that was a Monday. And uh, I went to a meeting on Tuesday. And it was, I had since done a geographic down to San Diego. And uh, uh, so I had gone to this Burl Street meeting in Pacific Beach. And, and uh, the format of the meeting, there were about six tables that kind of ran around. It was a round room. And there were six tables that ran around the perimeter. And the start of the meeting, we'd read, do all the readings we'd celebrate birthdays we'd welcome newcomers and then they had partitions that would go off and we'd close in between each table and each table became its own meeting and each meeting wouldn't end until everybody shared i didn't know it at the time but i mean obviously alcoholics anonymous was doing for me what i couldn't do for myself um as as a as a result of me um continuing to show up uh, and hear this, hear people share every week. And I was forced to share every week. People got to know me and I got to know others in Alcoholics Anonymous. And, and, um, you know, uh, it was funny that they say commitments, obviously ensure that you get to meetings and, and there was a coffee commitment at that meeting. that was a six month term. And, and that meeting kept nominating me and, and, uh, to the, to the commitment for a year and a half, uh, to ensure that I was there. And, um, you know as i said you know coming in and 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 kind of really getting submerged and sinking into aa and and without me knowing about it as i said me getting to know aa and aa getting to know me um, i started to feel some comfort i definitely got some physical sobriety um and i i, I think in hindsight i probably wished and hoped that that's what recovery was about was just not drinking um but it became apparent very quickly um that the pink cloud that you hear alcoholics, sober alcoholic share about wears off. And I had that experience. The physical, physical sobriety wasn't enough. And, and what really is required in Alcoholics Anonymous is change. And they say, it's really simple. You have to change everything. Um, And uh, you know, I, I think what Admitting and understanding that I was powerless over alcohol was easy for me to do. I, when I really looked at my relationship with alcohol, I saw that surrendering to everything else. And then having to turn my will in my life over the care of a God as I understood him was really difficult for me. Um, I definitely was, I wasn't raised a religious person, but, um, my good, uh, self-will, uh, and cock- cockiness, uh, in thinking that I know everything and, and that I know better than, than religion, which is what I envisioned Alcoholics Anonymous to be the real solution, uh, I struggled with that God thing. Um, and it was at about my first year, a little shy of it, I think it was in 1990, there was a spring roundup in San Diego. And I went down and some, a, a sponsor had gotten me a ticket and I had gone down for – and it wasn't for the whole weekend. I just got a ticket to the Sunday morning spiritual breakfast. And there was a guy named Earl H. Hightower, who was a, obviously a well-known speaker in Alcoholics Anonymous. He was the, he was the Sunday morning speaker. And, um, and I heard him share his story, his experience, strength, and hope, and I cried. I mean, that was just – when I heard that and, and I heard his experience, um, I could not um, – I couldn't doubt that there was an existence of a higher power in his life and that he had had a spiritual awakening. Uh, it was interesting. I, that Sunday night, uh, the Old Town Speaker meeting, there was a guy that I was told that I needed to listen, that I should go check out and share, and I wasn't able to make it. But the following morning, there was a, there was a friend of mine that dropped off a cassette. At the time, that's what the speakers were recorded on with cassettes. And there was a cassette that was dropped off at my place and uh, the speaker was Mickey B. And um, I know I've chimed in on a few of these uh, previous, I listened to Jack's talk to a couple of weeks ago. And I know Mickey was actually in the, in that meeting. i have never talked to him um, and I've never seen him. I've only had that one cassette uh, that I listened to and I've heard his talks over the years, several times, but it's somebody that I've never, never come in contact with directly. Um, but he obviously, in his talk, has all of the, the pitch on all the acronyms, and it was the first time that I heard an alcoholic talk about God being Group of Drunks, um, and that that struck me, um, and it 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 enabled me that it 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 gave me a tool that every time somebody said God in Alcoholics Anonymous, I could say Group of Drunks, and if I had if I didn't have the ability to turn my will and my life over the care of alcohol, over the care of a God. I could at least turn my thoughts and my actions over to the care of Alcoholics Anonymous. And that was a huge growth spurt for me um, when, uh, when I was able to do that. And, and I, you know, I love the fact that Mickey has no idea that, that, uh, that he had that impact on my life. Uh, I'm forever grateful. But Alcoholics Anonymous is full of those experiences. Uh, You know, if I had a dollar for every time I heard somebody share something that had an impactful, uh, that made it had an impact on my path and my trajectory and recovery, I would be a very, very wealthy person, you know, and it also reminds me that I've always got to be aware and, and conscientious that when I share, um, I'm sharing my experience, but I'm doing it for somebody else. Uh, I'm just hoping that somebody can benefit from my experience. So uh, you know, uh, when I was able to do that, all of a sudden I was able to get beyond that third step, and and that was what was holding me up from really changing. Um, I would, uh, you know, uh, uh, as I continued to work forward in the steps. At this time, uh, you know, I got a sponsor started started going through uh, the doing a fourth step and a fifth step. Did a half-ass four-step. It wasn't very deep, uh, but it was enough to get me over the hump and obviously shed some light on some character defects uh, and kind of keep moving in the steps. And and I kind of went through the process in San Diego. And at three years sober, I made a decision that I was going to move up to Seattle uh, for some, hopefully some business opportunities that I expected to happen for me that never did. Um, And, uh, you know, I leaned on the fact that there's always alcoholics and others here. People say, no matter where you go, there's meetings. And, um, you know, the, I, I shared about that at the beginning when I was saying that I, I, you know, there's these periods of time in my recovery where I've taken my will back and I've tried to manage and control my recovery, or I've tried to manage and control this process. And, uh, you know, I had a, a level of comfort as a result of staying sober for three years. Uh, and I made the move up to Seattle and the meetings were different and, I didn't have that level of comfort that I had and I didn't pay attention to the fact that it took me three years to accumulate that in San Diego and I went somewhere else and I just wanted that immediate uh, level of comfort and connection with people that knew me and that I knew them and I I didn't realize that I had to humble myself and start over um and that was a difficult truth for me to swallow uh, truth for me to swallow and it was one that i struggled with because i my my first reaction was much like anything else that had been shed in my four step my mo is i place an unrealistic expectation and demand upon every situation person place or thing in my life and inevitably it's not going to get met and my first reaction is i get pissed and that i'm not going to get my way that I'm not going to get what I want. And I immediately, those character defects come out that I try to then try to manage, manipulate, influence somehow, some way for me to get my way and for the outcome to please me. Um, And so I fought it for a while up in, up in Seattle. And, um, and inevitably I just continued to get more and more angry, more and more resentful. Uh, I got definitely, I got as close to drinking as I'd ever come uh, over these many years that I've been sober uh, and it got to the point where I was broke. I took my last $20 denomination out of, out of the ATM. I had 26 cents left in my account. Um, I'd spent, you know, living on Taco Bell uh, with the 20 bucks that had me. I went to a Wednesday night meeting. I had $2 to my name. I put it in the basket. Uh, I had a headache. I just, my stomach was in knots. I didn't share at the meeting, I went straight to the bathroom and I threw up afterwards. And uh, when I came out of the bathroom, uh, there was a guy named Chris V that was out in the parking lot and he came up and introduced himself to me and he started talking to me and we started walking and we started talking and it all started coming out. And you know, as I said, I had a lot of lofty expectations of what was gonna happen to me as far as a career goes up there and none of it did. And he was like, dude, you need a job. And I go, yeah, no shit. do and he's like i you know he was an architect and um he uh he goes well i just redesigned this coffee shop and i know the owner is a is also a sober member of alcoholics anonymous let me talk to her and see if i can't get you a job there and he did uh and she hired me um and i became the morning manager of, of the coffee shop and i was sitting there going You know, I didn't move all this way to Seattle to become a barista, but apparently that's what was in store for me. Uh, The other thing that he told me was, is he goes, you need to get back to basics and you need to find somebody that has something you want and ask them to sponsor you. And being the miserable, resentful individual that I was at the time, I just wanted to be happy. And so I looked for somebody that was happy. And there was a guy named Patrick from Philadelphia that was always smiling and happy. And I asked him to sponsor me. And I started meeting with him on a regular basis and, um, and we started going through the steps again. And I got involved in a real tedious book study up there. Um, And there was a, you know, there's a couple things out of the literature. Both of them are out of actually the 12 and 12. Uh, But there's a couple things out of the literature that really are important to me that have had a profound effect. And again, one of those things that kind of changed the trajectory of my path of my recovery Um, at this book study that, I was going to they'd read the there was a paragraph out of the foreword of the 12 and 12 that they'd read at the beginning of every meeting. And it was basically, you know, the 12 steps spiritual in nature of practices, a of way of life can help the suffering alcoholic become happily and usefully whole. And I heard that over and over and over again. And it, it kind of just reinforced, it was another awakening that I had, you know, there was this obviously Mickey had kind of opened and cracked the door on this experience of like God can be a group of drunks or good orderly direction or all of these things. Now I'm sitting there having this clear vision of the steps and the fact that they're spiritual in nature If me just taking the action in the steps. And if they're spiritual in nature, I get a spiritual promise for every action that I take in the steps. And so again, I can resign from the debating society on what God is or isn't. I just have to do the work and do the action, and um, and that was that was a, a relief to me. Uh, that if as long as I just do these steps to the best of my ability, I'm gonna I'm gonna have an experience. They guarantee it, and uh, and so I did that with Patrick. A couple of years later, um, made the decision to move back to California um, and, uh, back to San Diego. And I got involved, uh, got a guy named David Taylor as a sponsor. Um, and he was amazing. This guy, uh, you know, I went to one meeting, it was a book study meeting in La Jolla. I heard him share and I go, that's the guy, that's the guy that I need to work with. And, uh, I went up and asked him to sponsor me. He said, uh, he goes, well, he goes, I'll, why don't we meet for a cup of coffee before we make a decision? And uh, he, uh, I went and met with him and and he was gay. And he said, he goes, I don't tell you that because it me, you know, that it's all that important. But he goes, if, if you're going to, he goes, if, you're, if I'm going to sponsor you, um, you're going to take the suggestions um, and you're going to do them the best of your ability. And he goes, the last thing I want you to do is or He goes, what I don't want to have you do is the first thing that goes wrong is you just say, oh, that silly queen doesn't know what he's talking about. And uh, he goes, I'm not going to tolerate it. And I said, so he goes, why don't you think about whether this is something that you want to move forward with or not? And uh, I said, no, absolutely. Let's do it. So I went and met with him once a week, sometimes several, well, sometimes more. Uh, and we went through mainly the 12 and 12 uh, both the steps and the traditions. He was one of those guys that believed that there should be 24 steps and that the 12 traditions should be part of the process. Uh, and uh, that was, you know, another one of those massive growth spurts for me in, 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 the, in the recovery process. Um, what I found, in, and that's when I really did a, a, a much deeper inventory with that gentleman and a fifth step with him. And uh, that's when I learned about the cycle. You know, that cycle of the unrealistic, unrealistic expectation and demand um, that I put upon uh, my life or my, those, those situations in my life immediately, there's a fear that I'm not going to get what I want. And then the character defect comes in and I try to influence that. And then there's another fear that I'm still not going to get what I want. And there's another character defect. And that cycle just goes on and on and on. And, uh, and so there definitely was a much, uh, there was a searchlight and a bright light shed on my patterns and who I am and and really the crux of my, uh, my pain and discomfort in life. And and I'll read, this is the second, uh, caption from the literature that, that, uh, that is the most profound and that, that really I struggle with and it's where I, I suffer the most. And it's, um, it's in the fourth step of the, of the 12 and 12. It's page 53, and um, I'll read this. But it is from my twisted relations with family, friends, and society at large that I, suffer, that I have suffered the most. I've been especially stupid and stubborn about them. The primary fact I fail to recognize is my total inability to form a true partnership with another human being. My egomania digs two disastrous pitfalls. Either I insist upon dominating the people I know, or I depend upon them far too much. If I lean too heavily on people, they sooner or later fail me, for, I am, for they are human too and cannot possibly meet my incessant demands. In this way, my insecurity grows and festers. When I habitually try to manipulate others to my own willful desires, they revolt and resist me heavily. Then I develop hurt feelings, a sense of persecution, and a desire to retaliate. As I redouble my efforts at control and I continue to fail, my suffering becomes acute and constant. That's the disease and discomfort that I suffered from that alcohol took away. I have not once sought to be one in a family, to be a friend among friends, to be a worker among workers, to be a useful member of society. Always I've tried to struggle to the top of the heap or hide underneath it. This self centered behavior blocked a true part, uh, dropped a part blocked a partnership relation with any one of those about me of true brotherhood. I had small comprehension. And, um, that one just hurts. <laughs> that one hurts. Uh, that's a truth. That is a, it's a, it's a difficult one to, to, to swallow. And whenever I'm discom- whenever I'm uncomfortable or I'm in, in pain, I can usually find that paragraph. will nail it to some, uh, to where I am and, 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 uh, you know, either I'm dominating or I'm far too dependent upon those people, places, and things in my life. Um, the other thing that that was such an amazing uh, growth spurt for me in, in, in working with David was steps six and seven, um, which are obviously the shortest, I know, in the book when it talks about they're just two paragraphs in the book and there's far more information in the 12 and 12 on six and seven. But what was pointed out to me, and I never... It, it just, I hadn't seen it before that was that um, six and seven are about obviously all of those character defects, stubbornness, argumentative, judgmental, uh, impatient, intolerant, uh, close-minded, all of those things that, that, that combative, all of those character defects in my uh, four step, all those that, that were shed light that, that we, that, I, uh, that had light shed on them. Um, those are the things that obviously I'm find objectionable and I'm really trying to uh, remove from my life. And what was pointed, what he pointed out to me was he goes, you know, he goes, too many alcoholics try to be uh, and try to be the people that they think they should be, as opposed to focus on being willing to let go of who they are and what they are. So you can pray for patience and tolerance and acceptance all you want, but if you're not willing to let go of your impatience and your intolerance, you're never going to get it. And so it's really just about letting that stuff go. And if I can just focus on asking for strength to let go of who and what I am, the opposite comes in and God brings that into my life. Um, the uh, uh, I wound up making a move uh, after a few years back up to Los Angeles. Um, and this is kind of, you know, maybe years seven through nine, um, I moved to LA and, and, uh, I didn't like the meetings up there. At least that's what I told myself. That was the rationalization, which are, I was pointed out to me are just rational lies, uh, that kept me from going to meetings. You know, I just called them jive, uh, trendy hip. I didn't feel comfortable in them. Uh, And the reality was, is that I was busy. Again, I'd kind of fallen back into this self will run riot Um, and my relationships. Uh, You know, up until that point, um, I didn't realize that I got a broken picker. Um, I look for relationships that are not healthy. Um, And uh, you know, this was another one of those areas that I hadn't, surrendered to, um, and I had gotten myself into a relationship that I had no business being in. It was really unhealthy, uh, damaging, uh, and it fell apart. And, um, I came through the other side of that and I remembered all the things that David had told me. Um, and he, and I, I said, you know what? No relationships for a while. I'm only going to go to book studies and step studies. And, um, uh, and I did that. And I started going to this Joe and Charlie meeting in Los Feliz. And I met this guy, Frank C uh, who started that meeting. And, and then I asked him to sponsor me and we started going through the process again. And, and it was just kind of like, it's, it's what I love about Alcoholics Anonymous that this spiritual experience that, that we go through, that we get um, never caps out. There's always room to broaden and deepen that relationship with a God of my own understanding. And you know, with my willingness to surrender this whole relationship struggle that I've had in my past, uh, and focus again on spiritual growth and the steps and, and the message, whether that, you know, uh, in Alcoholics Anonymous, um, I find out that there's just needs to be more room for a higher power in my life. Uh, it's when I, you know, it was, it was at this point too, that, um, you know, I, went through the process again and, and in this process of doing a third step i did the prayer uh as i had always done before and then uh i had a, uh it was pointed out to me that uh, and i know jack shared about this at his talk a couple of weeks ago after the paragraph for that prayer in the book it says the wording's optional and i was it was instructed to close the book and not regurgitate the prayer and try to say the same thing with the same intent, but in my own words. And that was a real growth spurt for me because I struggled with it. I found it very difficult to say the same thing in different words with the same intent. Um, And it finally got to the point where I just was like, you know what, I don't know. Fuck it, I don't know. I I don't know what God is or isn't. I'm just, I'm in pain. I'm willing to surrender. You can have all of me. I mean, it was just, it was a dialogue and at least it got me talking to higher power. Um, and you know, it wasn't just the prayers for me anymore. Now it was discussion that I was having a discussion with my higher power. And it again, I, as I, as I mentioned, it just started to really broaden and deepen my experience with the steps. Um, I, uh, got involved in a line of work that took me traveling around the world and, and, uh, uh, grateful that I was able to, to hit meetings but I, you know, I burned myself out. Uh, meetings are great to go to, but you really need a connection. You need a home group. You need to be, you know, like I said, you need to be accountable to people and people to be accountable to you. And I didn't have that. Um, and, uh, you know, there was a, a guy that gave me a call and offered me a job back in 04. And, and um, uh it was Jim, you know, I know he's listening in on this meeting and he was one of the guys that participated several weeks ago. Um, but he offered me a position to come work for him and, and, uh, I'll never forget this. You know, again, it's, you never know what you're going to hear when you're going to hear it from who, but, um, he flew out to meet me in advance of me making a decision. And I remember us sitting at this picnic table and making this decision of letting something go that this, this traveling responsibility, and then obviously taking this office gig and, and, um, he said it was a big thing about, you know, what changes are going to happen. And, and, and he goes, you know, he goes, and he's obviously sober. He goes, you know, he goes, we come into Alcoholics Anonymous and we see the glass half empty after working the steps. uh, Maybe we see the glass half full. He goes, if we continue to grow spiritually, he goes, we learn that we can find a smaller glass and fill it up. And that stuck with me. I mean, I just, I, I love that. And I have tried to, you know, it's something that David, uh, when David was my sponsor, said the same thing. You know, there was a lot of things he goes, fear of financial insecurity doesn't leave us as a result of working the steps and practicing the principles in all our affairs, we become financially responsible. There's no fear to be had. We adjust to, to, to meet terms as they are. And um, we cease fighting everything and everyone. And, and those are really, really deep spiritual principles uh and it's not anything that i can do on my own left to my own devices i want to take control you know turning my will in my life over to the higher power um is very difficult trusting and and being uh accepting things as they are that's difficult for me it's not in my nature um and you know i'm i'm grateful to to uh Uh, To all the time that I've, I I worked with Jim because Jim's an amazing example of recovery and this process and, and, uh, you know, being submerged into that, not only in, you know, outside of work, it was also inside of work. Um, And he, he, you know, got me involved in, in retreats and banquets and just all of those things that are just, um, I hadn't done before, but they've just only enhanced my experience in this recovery process. And it's been more and more about uh, less and less about me and more and more about others really. And uh, the more I'm able to stay in that mindset and in that position of surrender, uh, the better I feel and the more comfortable I feel. There's obviously been a ton of other stuff that's happened over the course of of 31 years. It's been a lot. and it's hard to find that. I mean, I, like I said, that's why I get really nervous about doing this stuff. Cause I start thinking about all the shit that's happened and it's like, how do I come up with a tangible uh, understandable presentation and discussion about my experience? Um, I will share this uh, and I'll, I'll close with this actually. Um, and it kind of is the best analogy for me on, on kind of how, what my experience has been with Alcoholics Anonymous. There's a, a guy that I got sober with uh, turned me on to, and this has nothing to do with AA, but turned me on to Alan Watts. And I listened to a lot of his discussions and lectures over the years. And and he, there's one talk where he, he says, and it, basically he was a guy that did lectures on Zen and Buddhism and a lot of Eastern philosophies. Uh, and he does this one talk where he says, you can take a man that's been walking on land his entire life and you can put him in the water. And he'll try to stand on it. And he'll obviously sink he'll try to grasp it, he'll thrash about, and ultimately he'll drown. And you can take that same individual and you can explain the properties of water. Then if he trusts, and if you if you tell him to relax and that the water will support him and you put him back in the water and he understand he has trust and faith in that and let's go, he'll float. You haven't taught him how to swim. He basically explained the properties of it and, and, uh, and he's let go and trusted in that process and, and, And it's supporting. And that's kind of what AA is for me. You know, it's, I came in here obviously with a life living problem and there's no secret handshake or secret deal on how to live life other than letting go and trusting God. And if I just relax and let go, um, this process supports me and it takes me um, on a journey that uh, obviously I'm blessed with the people that I come in contact with. Um, I continue to draw strength from uh, those in Alcoholics Anonymous. Uh, You know, what I thought was, what I used to think was very important was prayer. Um, But I need a lot of guidance. And I heard early on that praying is talking to God and meditation is listening to God. And I, thus, because I need guidance, I need to listen a lot and I get the guidance through the power of, that lives in Alcoholics Anonymous, that spirit of love and service. That's my understanding of God these days is that spirit of love and service. So um, the more I can listen, the more guidance I get in AA. And so meetings have become meditation for me. Uh, that's where God speaks to me. That's where I get direction. Through others, ex- Others experience strength and hope. Um, if there's anybody new in here, uh, I re- and, and, and I'll tell you what they told me early on. I hope that you can stick around long enough, get enough information about alcoholism, honestly look at your relationship with alcohol and make a decision. And if you be alcoholic, there are an endless, uh, there's endless people in AA that are willing to help and walk you through the process. And I've never seen, whether it's been my experience or others that have gone through tumultuous times or difficult times, I've never seen anybody go through something in Alcoholics Anonymous that hasn't been able to find someone else in AA that's had and gone through the same experience and gotten to the other side that they can draw strength and guidance from. Um, So with that, um, I think I'll shut up and it's probably time for me to, to listen. Uh, and thank you for uh, thank you for listening to me. <laughs>